Thank you so much, Lindsay. Thank you all for worshiping. Thank you for giving. And I hope you have a Bible. And if you do, I'd love for you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. Uh, Really excited about this study that we're beginning today and we'll be in for the next couple of weeks um, called Inheritance. I'll explain the title in just a few minutes. Uh, Every once in a while, the Lord leads us into a passage uh, that inspires a topic uh, that's just too big to contain to one conversation or one message. Uh, I'd love to preach for five or six hours, but y'all don't want to go through that. and, And I'd probably be worse for wear about hour two or three. But I'll be honest, sometimes God says, hey, this is what you need to talk about. And, and I'm thinking, hey, that's, that's a heavy subject and, and you got to make that digestible, you know, and, and you got to make it to where uh, people can, can understand it and, and, and understand how it applies to their lives. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to ever come up here with a topic or with, with an idea that's abstract or, or too easy, to, too hard to, to understand. Uh, but thankfully, the Bible, everything the Bible teaches is applicable and discernible. Uh, but sometimes it just takes some time to make sure we're all on the same page. And, and, and a pastor, a professor of mine um, once told me in the whole class, you got to make sure that, sh- that sheep can chew on that before you put it out there in, in front of them, right? And, and nothing wrong with the Bible. Uh, the Bible is perfect in, in every way, but, but sometimes our little minds, our, our little minds just can't uh, have a hard time wrapping their, their, their you know, selves around what the Bible's trying to say to us. And, and since it's all important, it's worth the effort uh, that it takes to present the Word in a relevant in consumable fashion. Uh, so the, the study that God is leading us into today and, and for the next couple of weeks is not one that requires a lot of explaining. Uh, so if that introduction scared you, don't worry. I'm just saying this isn't one of those. This isn't one that's got to be explained and, and really, um, uh, you know, ironed out. Uh, I, I think it's just so relevant, though, and I think it's so practical that it's going to immediately click with our eyes and our minds, uh, and, and we're going to be open to, I think, an, an, an important subject that, that God wants us to breach and God wants us to get a hold of. So there are many situations in life where we can relate to this, and it, and it makes it hard to just bring up a few, uh, but, but to get us all thinking on the same wavelength and same frequency, um, our series for the next couple of weeks is going to be called Inheritance, Accessing All of God's Will for Us, for Our Lives. Now, when you think about those words, inheritance and God's will, um, it, it, it brings something specific to our mind. Now, God's will kind of has a double meaning to it. God's will can mean uh, uh, God's intention for our lives, God's commands for our lives, God's design for our lives. But when you couple God's will with the word inheritance, it makes you think of something different, doesn't it? Because inheritance and will uh, makes you think of something that was left for you. Uh, When you think of someone's will, you think of their last deed and testament, right? You think of their, something they have deeded to you. So that's what I want you to think about when we hear about God's will in this particular instance. When we think about inheritance, God's will for our lives, uh, think about God's desire for us that we unpack and unwrap all that he has deeded unto us as an inheritance. So God is our father, right? God is our heavenly father. Jesus is God's son who came to make us all the children of God, to make us all uh, inheritance, uh, part of the inheritance of God's kingdom, part of the, the, the story of God, the family of God. The Bible says we are heirs with Christ. So the idea of an inheritance that God has for us, the idea of God's will that we take a hold of and unwrap and, and unpack what he has deeded to us, that should get our attention in the most extreme of ways. And, and you know why? 
You know why I think this, this study is so important? And, and this isn't a specific uh, knock on any one of you or any one of us. This is just in general. Uh, one of our greatest flaws as a people and as believers is that we woefully underestimate what it means to be a Christian. Now, don't hear me as saying that we underestimate what it takes to be a Christian. It's very easy and very simple to be a Christian. It's a very obtainable thing. All you got to do is trust that Jesus died for your sins and overcame the grave for you. It's so easy. It's so, it, it makes it just completely and, and hard to believe that anybody wouldn't believe. It is so easy to be a Christian. Anybody isn't, everyone is invited to trust in Jesus. He died for all. He overcame the grave for all. Nobody has been uninvited. Nobody has been warded off. Everybody can be a Christian. It's that easy. It's that simple. But as far as what it means to be a Christian, what it means that we are made new in him, made better in him, I just think that very few of us take full advantage of that. I think that very few of us really think about what it means to be in Christ, what it means to have better life in him, what it means to be made new in him, what it means that he has made available to us something that is so much better than we often settle for. I just think in general that Christians don't or underestimate and, and don't value enough what it means to say, I'm a Christian. That when you look in the mirror, and, and we sang that song earlier, who you say I am, when you look in the mirror and you say you are a child of God, that means something. And it's so much more than I think we've really understood or believed or, or, or accepted. So our anchor text for this series, our inspiration in what I hope will be a bookmark chapters in your Bibles for years and years to come, um, the, the anchor text and the text that really inspired this is Ephesians 1. We're going to spend the next few weeks in this book, uh, over, the, over the whole book, but Ephesians 1 is where we're going to begin today, and we're going to begin by reading verses 3 through verse 14. Uh, verses 1 and 2 is just Paul saying, hey, I got something to say to you, and verses 3 is where he really gets into the, the, the nitty-gritty of it and starts talking about what is our inheritance. So I want you to follow along with me. Verse 3 through 14, I'm going to do something different than, than, than I, I usually do. In a couple of minutes, I'm actually going to put some of my notes on the screen, as in my notes that I write beside the verses in the Bible, because I want you to see uh, what I think God wants us to, to, to get a hold of in this text, and, and, and that I hope that you can see from these verses. Um, so follow along with me, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, anointed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That, that's one way to get our attention, right? That he has blessed you with every, that's a big word to use, every, all of them, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as, and, and here's, how, here's how definite Paul is, as in this is for all of you. Just as he chose you, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, just as he predestined us to be adopted as sons or as children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of, the, of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So just as he chose us and predestined us and accepted us, he has blessed us. Do you see what Paul is saying here? That we understand that we're saved, we're chosen, we're uh, predestined, we're accepted. That's what it means to be saved, that God has destined you and, and, and accepted you and chosen you. But as a Christian, you have so much more available to you beyond that initial 
active faith. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So, so we know the basics. We're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. We're forgiven of our sins. But, 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 but verse 8, Paul says that grace doesn't just stop once we're saved. That God continues to lavish it. Or verse 8, he has made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That he's continually pouring out his grace on us. He's continually lavishing his grace on us. Like a, like a shepherd would lavish his sheep with oil to clean it and pick all the nits out of it, of its wool. He's lavishing on us with his love and his grace. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. So this unobtainable, unexplainable, what does God want from me? What does God have for me? That's no, no excuse for us anymore. We who have been chosen and destined and accepted, we have been blessed and can be blessed and have the grace of God abounding over us so we can know what his will is for us. That's pretty intriguing, I think. He's made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So this is part of God's plan to build up a kingdom, to bring together a body of believers, to ultimately take us to his kingdom in heaven one day. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. So you wonder where the word came from. We have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of his will, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So this is all God's plan. You are an heir to the kingdom estate. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, so that our lives would be for his glory. Verse 13, in him. You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So again, verse 13 recaps our, our, our Christian faith. We trusted in him, we were saved, we were sealed with the Spirit of promise, but verse 14 is still lingering out there in front of us. The Spirit that we were given is the guarantee, and you know in legal speak, the word guarantee means, hey, somebody has put this up for you. And you can trust that they're going to stand by it. They're the guarantee that the Spirit of God is the guarantee of your inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So what God gives us now is going to take us into the full and total transformation that comes along with when heaven uh, becomes our home. So I tell you, that is one of the most incredible you know, 11 verses in the whole Bible. That if you haven't ever read that before and really unpacked it before and highlighted it and, and wrote down to the margins beside of it, then what are you doing? Because this is a chapter that you need to commit to as much memory as you can. If you can't memorize, memory's not that good, keep, just make some notes and write these verses out because they're just so rich. I think so at least. So, as we read this passage, I want, I, I want you to think about, and as we've read this passage, think about the things associated with the concepts we just mentioned earlier. The emphasis on God's desire to bless us with spiritual gifts. Uh, the, the things that we hear uh, about his will and his purpose that supersedes all of our other plans. Uh, we hear Paul talk about taking possession of our full inheritance. So 
don't you think we underestimate what it means to be a Christian? Because I don't think a lot of us pay a lot of attention to what this chapter is putting in front of us. Some key things that, that I highlighted and, and, and made note of as I read through this and studied this. Verse number three, you hear Paul just say that we have obtainable, obtainable to us every spiritual blessing. That's a pretty big statement to make. Notice that the distinction is spiritual. We'll talk a lot about that in a little bit. Every spiritual blessing. So that, that means that either he's over-promising or he really means what he's saying. And I believe God's word is trustworthy, so I think you should too. That just as he saved you, accepted you, and chosen you, and all that good stuff, just as you've trusted in him and been saved, you have access to every spiritual blessing that God wants for you. Again, in verse 7 and 8, we see that he, he says that it's according to uh, the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. So that doesn't sound like a God who is just saying to us, listen, I, I, got, I saved you. Well, I mean, what else do you want? I mean, you're lucky to get that. Like some of, some of us are to people, right? Hey, what do you want else you want from me? According to the riches of his grace, which he has made to abound toward us. That means there's no limit to it. And then again, verse 11 and 14, we see Paul talk about that we've obtained an inheritance and that we have this guarantee and we can make it our possession. All of these should get our attention and we should lean into this next, uh, this, this text and, and look up to heaven from which these promises come. And in this next passage, so after this passage in verses 15 through the end of the chapter, Paul is literally going to write out a prayer. He does this a lot in Ephesians where he's going to say, hey, I got a prayer to pray for y'all. I'm not just going to pray it in private. I'm going to write it out. And I want y'all to continue to pray this prayer in your own way. Uh, he writes out a prayer that is a template for us to use, encouraging us to pray for our eyes to be open to the true blessings that God has for us, the inheritance that he's made available to us. So verse 15 through 23. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you and making mention of you in my prayers, because I want y'all to not just be saved, which is, of course, great and necessary, but I want y'all to go to the next step. I want you to take hold of this inheritance that God has for you, because why wouldn't you? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, so you might would have full knowledge, understanding of what he has for you. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened and be open, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, which are, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, so that you might know and fully understand what he has made available to you. Now, I don't know about y'all, but you look around at the world today, I would venture to guess that a lot of people don't know what God has made available to them. Or maybe they have a misconception of what God has made available to them. We'll, we'll talk about that. Verse 18, 19, and what is the exceeding greatness? So do you sense the idea that Paul is pulling out every adjective he can in this chapter? I mean, don't you, know, don't you notice just the, the excessive use of great and abundance and abound? and Don't you notice that Paul is really being a little wordy and a little flowery with his words? And he's not just doing this for nothing. He's wanting you to pay attention to it. That if somebody writes you a letter and they say, hey, you're, you're a great person, thanks. You're going to think, if that's the end of the, the letter, you're going to think, well, okay, I'm, that's a nice compliment. 
But if they end that letter by talking about, by just buttering you up, oh, you're awesome and you do so great and I'm so proud. If you get that kind of compliments in a message or a card from somebody, you pay a little more attention and you sit up a little straighter and you think, man, that makes you feel good because, hey, they don't just... They don't just think about me every once in a while, but they must really be fond of me. So notice that Paul is using these words because he wants you to know what God thinks of you and what God has for you. He didn't have to use these words. God didn't, you know, God inspired him to do this. He didn't just say, hey, just do whatever you want to do. So this is intentional language. What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of power in the heavenly places far above all of the principalities and powers and might and dominion uh, far above all the earthly powers and earthly thrones above every name that is named not only in this age but in that which is to come so there's nobody that's ever going to live on this earth that is greater than the name of Jesus and what nobody that offers you more than what he offers you and they may entice you with a lot but it does not compare to what Jesus has for you he put all things under his feet, that's Jesus. God put all things under the king, Jesus' feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So again, two verses to, to highlight, verse 18, 23. The idea is that we might know and obtain the full measure of our hope, that we might understand the, all that God has for us to, to, to put our hope in, that we might receive the fullness of what God has to offer I don't know about y'all, but I don't think, I just don't think that most of us have ever considered what more there might be to knowing Jesus and following Jesus past a reservation in heaven and having somebody to pray to when we're worried or we need something really bad. And I'm not being, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't pray to him when you have a need or when you're worried. I'm just saying to a lot of us, that's all God is to us. He saved us from hell and he's somebody we can talk to when we're worried. But I got to say, it's so much more than that. I get it. I'm right there with you. Life is busy. We're pulled in all 100 different directions. And, and this is why sitting under texts like this and camping out around them in places like this is vital for our faith to grow and for us to know what Christianity can be all about. My job as your pastor is that you might know what your faith can do for you. That's why Paul wrote this chapter. So let's just step aside for a minute. If there was a situation pertaining to your own personal professional life, a means of immediately bringing benefit to you in all the areas you could make a list of that you have needs in, you would perk up in a minute and you would make that phone call. You would respond to that email. You would go and talk, go to that person that says, hey, come to me and I'll, I got to let y'all know what kind of inheritance you've got waiting on you and, and how many things you can do, how many opportunities this is going to afford you. That's why that people fall for so many get-rich-quick schemes because we all want to have a lot, right? We all want to have as easy of a life as we can. People fall for that stuff because they think it would answer their problem or fix their problems. Remember back in the early days of email, some of y'all, are, are you, were, you were online back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Remember all of, uh, and there was a lot of mainstream attention to people who got fooled by these emails. And, and the, the, the classic one was the Nigerian prince scams. Y'all have heard of these before, um, where somebody uh, sends you an email and they say, hey, um, I'm from, and, and Nigeria was a hotspot for, for all sort of scamming, uh, financial scams, which is where that kind of, that, that joke came from. But that was a big thing in the late 90s and early 2000s when people didn't realize, well, th this, this is not at all trustworthy. But you would get these emails where somebody would say, hey, um, you know, 
know what, I, I, I am somehow connected to you or your family and my estate is being dissolved and I need to give you my, my money and, and I need your personal information and I need all the stuff that you aren't supposed to tell anybody, your social security number, uh, you, you know, you, all the personal information that you have, uh, the, 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 that I've been in contact with the government and, and my government and your government, they're talking and I need somebody to give my money to, can you take it from me? Just give me your bank account routing number and account number and your social security number and I'll give it to you. Now, I mean, that's funny to talk about, but a lot of people fell for that stuff 20 years ago. I remember sitting in my geometry class, 2005, so almost 20 years ago. Uh, I had a very bright teacher. She was, really had a lot of common sense. She was really, really, you know, well-grounded, down-to-earth teacher, really, obviously very smart in math. She taught everything from geometry to calculus. And I, I can remember being in the class, and, and she spent the whole morning, from, I had her for homeroom and, and for first period, she spent the whole hour and a half of, of the morning trying to figure out if this email she got about her being next to kin to somebody in Africa, uh, if it was legitimate. It wasn't. Um, and, and she figured that out. But she was, and I remember reading this email thinking, man, I've never heard of that before. Turns out a lot of people were getting those same emails back in the day. People fell for it because when somebody says you have an inheritance, you listen, don't you? When somebody says, hey, you've got all this money sitting over here waiting on you to take hold of, people fall for that stuff because of, that's what our minds are attracted by, are attracted to. I read this week that people uh, over 700,000 a year of people's money is lost for good because of schemes like that. Now, there is in all of us this thing that springs to life if it seems like there's an avenue for us to increase our prosperity, isn't there? Because in all of us, there's this, this idea that, hey, if there's something out there for me, why wouldn't I do what I had to do to get a hold of it? Think about, think about this, though. Have you ever bought something that you didn't know all the things it can do when you bought it? And years later, you were still learning of all the things it could do. Uh, maybe it was a phone or a computer. Maybe it's your car. Uh, and, and you only really utilize half of what it can do. Um, I, I drove my, my car for a year before I realized that it had heated seats and heated steering wheel. Um, and, and now I'm walking around. I, I'm cold nature. So now at 70 degrees and the seat is on fire and the steering wheel is on fire and I am enjoying life. Lindsay gets in my car and she says, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, I, didn't know I, could, I didn't know I had this for, for, for a year. Um, but... but but underutilizing something you know, makes you feel bad because hey, you've been paying for this and, well, man, it has all these features. Um, another thing that I think this series can relate to is have you ever woke up in the morning and your phone, because we're all relying on our phones in these days, uh, have you ever realized that your phone didn't charge? Um, and and you, you didn't connect it right, or it fell off the charger, whatever happened, it, it unconnected during the night, um, and, and you wake up, and you got 30% battery, and man, the, the day's already getting started, and you're, 30, you know, you're already losing power, and again, if you don't care about your phone, that's no big deal, but a lot of us, right, uh, you're going through the day, and you're just waiting for your phone to shut down, and you're waiting for all the people's calls you're going to miss, and messages you're going to miss, and it's just going to make things complicated. What a shame, what a shame to have the, all the potential in your finger trips, but it's held back by an uncharged, empty battery. It's like a house with no electricity. Or maybe in today's age, the better analogy is it's like having a house with all the new tech that requires the internet to really take, get the most out of it, but you don't have that constant high-speed full connection and really all of it's useless. It's like when you call the cable company and they say to you, everything's great on our end. We've got all the stuff right on our end. Maybe there's a problem on your end. 
But, but, but the good news is Christianity isn't like when you're sitting in front of your modem and you're trying to tell them over the phone what the green light is doing and the red light is doing and which cord is plugged into what hole. Uh, the, Christianity is much more simple than that. The Bible invites us and shows us how we might tap into a full connection with God, how we might access and enjoy our full inheritance. Back up in verse number three. Paul says, we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in or from heavenly places. Now, more on that heavenly part in a minute. But, but again, down through this passage, verses 4 through uh, verse 3 through 8, we hear Paul talk about how we're chosen and we're adopted. And in him, we have redemption. And then again, he says he's abounded toward us, this wisdom and this grace. So how do we obtain this? We are blessed in Christ with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So so how do we obtain this? And what is Paul's invitation for us or Paul's command to us? That we put ourselves before him. Because where does all this stuff come from? It comes from being in him and relying on him and trusting in him and seeking more of him. So we put ourselves before him as a willing, hungry, humble vessel, a vessel that can be poured into and filled up so he can anoint us so we might receive his fullness. So my, my, my message there is you're not going to get this through absentee association. You're not going to be able to call, you know, down, years from now and say, well, well, I didn't realize all that was available to me. Can I get it all now? And, and the, the, the message there, the point is that you can get what you can there, but all that you might have missed, it, it might not be able to be obtained at that point. We have to put ourselves before him as a willing, hungry, humble vessel so he can anoint us so we might receive his fullness. I think the really awesome, perfect picture for this is what David wrote in Psalm 23, verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. So right there, we're told that there's gonna be a lot of noise and distraction in this life. As in God does not take us away from the distraction. He doesn't remove temptation. He doesn't take us as I'm palace in the sky and say, okay, I've took care of all the things that might distract you and might tempt you. I'm just going to make it so easy for you to focus only on me. The, the message is, it's going to be some, there's going to be a lot of things that are pulling you in a hundred different directions. You are in the presence of your enemies, of the people that, of the systems and institutions, and of course the devil that don't want what's best for you and that want to take take this away from you. In the presence of your enemy, you have to understand that's where God wants to anoint you and that's when your cup can run over. You don't need all the circumstances and all the scenarios to be perfect. You just need to learn how to trust in God in the middle of that noise in the presence of all those things that may detract from him. And that takes us back to that line in verse three, the spiritual blessings in heavenly places because I, I i know i know you could clip out my first part of this message and you could attach it to a completely different message that would come after that i know that when we're talking about riches and abundance and blessings and running over there's something in us that thinks now what are we talking about you know just just what has god made available to me there's something in us 
we hear about abundance and excess, and if we're not careful, our flesh and our minds and the devil will take this and corrupt it and dilute it with ideas that are contrary to what God is saying and opposed to what we really need and what he has to give us. So we have to head this off. Because if we're going to get this inheritance and we're going to get God's fullness, we cannot be expecting one thing when he's promising another thing. Have you ever, uh, somebody told you they had something for you and your, your mind starts racing thinking, man, what, what are they going to give me? Maybe they're going to, you know, I don't know what situation, maybe they're going to give me some money. Maybe they're going to give me something I really want. And then you unwrap it and you're thinking, oh, I didn't really ask for this and I guess I'll wear that like once a year or maybe I won't ever wear it. And you know. You've been there before where your expectations go in one direction, but the reality is in another direction. Now, now, thankfully, God's not like that person that gave you that gift that you didn't need. God has something better for you, but it's tempting for us to go into this thinking, I mean, all this talk of riches and lavishness and abundance. I mean, hey, I mean, if, if my cup's going to run over, I mean, hey, I've got some material things. I've got some worldly things. I've got some stuff. I, I'd love to have an excess. And there's some people out there that will tell you, you can get it. And if you don't have it, and you're just not asking God enough, or you're just not clicking your heels together enough. So many take this passage and its promises, the entire subject of our inheritance, and they blend it into a conversation about materialism. If I can, let me illustrate just how easy it is to get our goals and aspirations so backwards, how this line of thinking that so many are tempted, are tempted to, to, to follow in with or go with, they associate God primarily with, with or only with what he might do for us in a physical, monetary, and materialistic fashion. Most of us, and here's how our minds work. And again, it's nothing wrong with you. It's just our sinful nature. Most of us, we have an abundance of, we want to have an abundance of material blessings, but we seem, I'm not saying that you say this out loud, but our actions suggest that we seem to only care about having enough spiritual blessings to get us by. Is that anybody? Don't tell on yourself, but if you want to, that's fine. We want to have an abundance of material blessings, but I don't really need a lot of spiritual stuff. I just need enough to get me to heaven when I die. Just thinking through this out loud should get, make us get on our knees before God and ask him for mercy and grace. I mean, it's pretty pathetic how a lot of us operate, and I'm in there with you. We pray for more money, and we pray for more time, we pray for better health and strength and protection from all the bad things, but we don't think about asking for what we need spiritually, do we? In fact, we value these earthly things so much that we tune our flesh, we are so in tune with our flesh, we are driven by and we crave more of it. And we see more importance in having these earthly things maxed out than we do spiritual things which are minimized. And the tragic thing is we consider the earthly things to be spiritual things. As in we are so infatuated and so sensitive to the things that are materialistic and things that are temporary we place them on a pedestal that makes them appear to be spiritual, but they're not. We value them more than we value what God says he has for us. Now, some Christian circles, this stuff is the carrot on the stick that entices you to join. If you follow Jesus, if you obey Jesus, he's going to bless you with these material things. Let me make it clear. 
And the point of this series is to show you that yes, he will bless you. And he has so much to offer you. Don't mishear me. He has so many incredible, awesome things to show you and give you uh, through his spiritual blessings. But he never entices anyone to follow him with material things. He's always offered true spiritual blessings. In fact, Jesus made it clear that following him might cost you material things. He portrayed knowing him as such an amazing thing that if it required liquidating everything you had, it would be worth it. That you would not have a net loss, you would have a net gain. Remember the parable that he told about the man who uh, found a treasure in a field or heard about a treasure in a field and, and he marked the field and he went and sold all that he had and bought the field and excavated the entire property until he found the treasure? And what does it say he did it in? Enjoy! He didn't say, well, man, i got to sell everything and I'm going to lose all my stuff and be unhappy. No, he was more joyful as a poor man that owned a piece of property than he was a rich man that had everything he could ever want. That doesn't sound right, does it? I'm telling you, if we don't break this part of our brain that only sees through this materialistic lens, we'll never get these spiritual blessings. I know there's Old Testament passages where God uses material things to draw Israel along, but those are a picture of things that are, that are spiritual, that are more realized through Christ in the Spirit. And listen, I know all the verses, I know all the chapters in the Old Testament where God said to Israel, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build and wells you didn't dig and vineyards you didn't plant. But do you know how much that worked to keep Israel faithful? How well did the vineyards and the wells and the houses do at keeping Israel faithful? It didn't work at all, did it? They had all the money, all the resources, all the food, all the great things they could ever ask for, and they squandered it all. So why would God continue to use those things to entice us when it doesn't work? When we end up being less passionate about him and more passionate about the stuff that he gave us. Listen, when, why would a spiritual God leverage material things to draw people to himself when he has much greater spiritual things to offer us and fulfill us? If he's wanting to create a people who are obsessed with super sensitive and super sensitive to material things, then yeah, but that's not what God wants. God wants a spiritual people. So, when he says your cups are going to run over, he's not talking about what our minds make this to be. There's a whole lot of people that think that is what he's talking about. And they get bummed out when they don't get all the stuff that other people are getting. It's so important. If he was talking about that, all that would result in is a people who are locked into this world and have no concern for anything other than the kingdom they're building up. And there's a whole lot of people like that. What good does that do for God? I mean, it does a lot of good for me. But does it? It just makes us conceited and super focused on our own little worlds. It doesn't make us think about God more. And, and <laughs> it just makes us think about us. And that's not good for us. It just accomplishes the devil's goal of making us only care about us and this earth. And it leaves our heavenly spiritual blessings unclaimed and unobtained. Now, listen. Boy, you think, man, what is he saying? Or what, what is he getting at? Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. The Bible promises that God will give us what we need in this life. What we need. 
And, he, and the Bible commands us to be content with what God provides so that we would be in tune with the spiritual desires and the spiritual blessings. Remember the story of the widow in the Old Testament who all she had was a handful of flour and a little bit of oil in a jug? The story goes that God told her, hey, trust me, and you'll always have that handful of flour, and you always have that little bit of oil, but it was never running over. It was always just enough. Now listen, prosperity charlatans will twist this into saying, oh, she had all the flour in the world and all the oil in the world. That wasn't so, but let me tell you what she did have an overflowing cup full of. The Spirit of God in her heart that showed her there was something greater than flour and oil. We want houses overflowing. We want bank accounts overflowing. We want all these things, but we could care less, couldn't care less about our hearts and our souls. We are far too easily pleased. All of these false gospels that make it all about what we can gain for ourselves, they just aren't rooted in biblical teaching. Listen to Paul's word to young Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. We cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we should be or we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. Now listen, I couldn't preach this in a lot of churches. I couldn't. And I might not should here. I don't know. A lot of people wouldn't dare talk about this stuff because they, people, people need that carrot on the stick. But I got something better for you than stuff that's going to fade away and rust and be stolen and taken by somebody else. I know this flies in the face of American culture. It needs to. We, because we need to be saved from that heresy. It prevents us from our true and better inheritance. I mean, Jesus said it better than I could, more convicting than I ever would say. He says, hey, you can't serve two masters. You hate one or you love the other. He will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. As in, you cannot see God as a means of advancing yourself you must see God as a means of spiritual blessings that you cannot get from this world. Yes, he'll take care of you. Yes, he'll give you what you need. But don't look at him and mix up what you need with what he has for you spiritually. The reason we had to have this discussion is the reason we had, the, the reason we had to, be, to separate what it means from our flesh because we often take what God is trying to offer us and we mutate it into something lesser than it actually is. When Paul says every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, he's referring to the fact that the things God gives us, the things God blesses us with are eternal things, things that cannot be taken away and things that cannot fade away. That automatically takes many of the things that we were thinking of out of this verse. And I promise you what this verse is actually talking about is much better than whatever we might would think of. And y'all have some pure minds. I'm just saying in general. That's not to say that we, the things that we receive or have in this life are bad. It's just that we don't need to confuse those with true blessings and we don't need to overvalue them or wrongly identify them. Do you see my point? That we often settle for things that we think are true and great blessings when they're really just hors d'oeuvres. They're really just the icing on the cake of what God has for us. And we obsess over those things. We want more of those things. And God has something so much better for us. 
Honestly, what this should do is cause us who knows so much. I mean, we are so blessed. I mean, we are materialistically blessed out our ears. And Americans especially, we should sit up straighter and think, if this is true, you mean that God has in store for us is better than this? Because a lot of we, we as Americans, we have it pretty good. We are very, very, very blessed, and we still think we need more. For, let, me just make, let me just say this. For 99% of the people that have ever heard this text, they wouldn't be confused at all. Now, I'm not beating up on us in our modern world, but I'm just being honest with you. For 99% of the people that have ever heard this text or will ever read this text, they would never confuse these two things. Because for most of history and the majority of people in the world that hear this today, there is no concern of them conflating material blessings with spiritual blessings because the vast majority of people who have ever read this text or will read this text are very, 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 very poor and impoverished and have no way of being anything but that. From Christians in India and China, all over Asia and South America, three billion plus people. They are some of the most marginalized people in the world. So when they read this, they don't ever make it about dollar signs. Because they know that's never going to happen for them. Do you see what I'm talking about? When, when the Christians in China or India or South America read this, they know, hey, this is either spiritual or it's nothing. Because we are the bottom of the barrel. Our governments don't even let us profess Jesus in public. We're in hiding right now. And this better be spiritual because if it was materialistic for us, that ain't going to work. For Christians throughout history, before the dawn of, of a world that has a middle class and exists like our country does, anybody that ever read this, they knew it wasn't talking about luxury or privilege. We must be self-aware enough to know that we wrongly associate this promise with worldly blessings. We cheapen the promise that God is making to us. And we undercut our own sense of appreciation for what God is going to provide us. Christians, what good is it going to do any of us to check all the material boxes, but when we get to heaven, none of that stuff's going to be there? Worst of all, the memories we have associated with those things are all going to fade away because they're not worthy to compete with what's ahead. I think so many of us are running on empty where it counts and all the while we have an inheritance that we've never even opened up. And what is Paul's prayer in verse 18? That our eyes be opened that we might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the true riches of the glory of the inheritance that he has for us that is from the exceeding greatness of his power towards those who believe. So obviously there's something amazing available to us. Let's not confuse it with something that's not so amazing. And listen, I, I know I'm, I'm, I, I, I say this from a privileged place. I am spoiled as you can imagine. But God forbid I look at those blessings that I've piled up in this world and think, yeah, that's, 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 that's the best it can get. Oh, I don't need to worry about my soul because I got this stuff. That is Satan's number one wish for all of us. Now, we're going to spend three weeks talking about all the different things that God has for us. But the entire purpose of this first chapter was that we might see that there's something greater available to us, something spiritual. 
We read these things about gaining wisdom and revelation and that we might understand that he has more for us than we can imagine. And this requires that we come before Jesus, the one on the throne of power, verse 20, who's sitting on the, at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. We've got to come before him and confess that in verse 21, that none of the earthly powers or the earthly thrones or the earthly treasures that we often associate with or that we often are, are, are pleased with, none of those things compare for who Jesus is and what he has for us. Do you see the, the progression there? None of those things compare. They're great. They're, 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 they're under God, but they don't compare with the true exceeding greatness of his power, his mighty power, verse 19, who raises the dead. So verse 22 and 23 tell us what we need to do. We've got to put our lives under his feet so that we can be full of him. We have to bring our lives before him so that we might receive his fullness. Now, there's a word for this process. John the Baptist used it. Jesus used it. The word? Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But you're so worried about the kingdom of the earth you miss it, don't you? You know what repent means? Repent means I'm going this way. I got to go the other way. Repent because the kingdom of earth doesn't have it for you. Repent because the kingdom is at hand as in your inheritance is within arm's reach. But we must first repent of our earthly infatuation and obsession. Listen, this is so difficult to... Believe, right? Because I don't want to do that. I don't want to repent of my earthly infatuation. I want God to, to, to give me what I'm obsessed with and make me more rich and more powerful and more luxurious and more privileged. Because, hey, that's what I want, God. And then I get to the end of this life and I'm thinking, oh, eh, maybe, maybe I don't need all that stuff, actually. Maybe, I'm, I'm, maybe there were some spiritual things that I should have took advantage of. Who in here today would want to make room for what God has to offer you, spiritually speaking? Who would be willing to say that there might be some things of this earth that are in the way of the things of heaven? That your inheritance is right in front of you. Don't you want it? I wrestle with this every day. Because sometimes I think, yeah, I want it, but <laughs> that's going to cost me something. It's going to be inconvenient and be uncomfortable. It'd be great to associate all this stuff the way some people do because then they just delude, are just delusional and just numb their minds. And listen, that's not how it works. That's not going to get you anywhere. If we're going to get this inheritance, we're going to have to make sure that nothing is competing for its place in our hearts. And if we've never thought about this before now, there's a good chance that there's a lot of hearts, there's a lot in our hearts that are taking the place of what God wants to give us. So maybe today during this invitation as we sing about God's goodness, maybe we can begin to think, you know what, God? You've been so good to me materialistically. You've been so good to me. You've given me what I wanted. You've taken me where I wanted to go. You've done for me what I wanted you to do. You've healed me. You've done all these things that are temporary, all these things that aren't gonna last. God, you've been so good to me and you've given me so much. If you've got spiritual things for me that are better than that, God, I, don't, I think I'm ready to move up from the baby food. 
I think I'm ready to move up to the big table. Because that, that's pretty enticing, I think. Your inheritance is within arm's reach. Well, you got to do some repenting to get it. We got to do some turning away to get it. Would you join me at the altar? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what is an, uh, an amazing promise from heaven. But Lord, a convicting message here on earth. Lord, I don't want to miss what you have for me spiritually because I'm too busy, too satisfied with some great things, mind you, that you gave me, but they just don't measure up. Lord, I don't, I don't know where this lands with everybody, and, and I, know, I don't know what this is making people think and what, people, what is, this is making people do in their hearts, but I just know that, Lord, you, you've promised us an inheritance. You've promised us something that's better than this world can give us, that's eternal and that's truly, eternally more satisfying and more joyful and fulfilling. So God, would you help us just to, to, to do what John and Jesus said to do? Would you help us repent as in turn from one to the other? To turn our hearts towards you and realize, God, if you've been so good to me this way, what else might you have for me? Because all this stuff that you've promised us, it's available to us. We can be the most spiritual, enlightened people in the world doing great things for your kingdom. But we've got to repent to be able to get near to it. And God, I want it. I want it so bad. And I think everybody here in this house wants it too. Would you open our eyes to your goodness? In Jesus' name. Amen.